to the sixth episode of College Sports Today on WLRZ 99.3 FM. I am your host, Hamilton Neal. We again thank you for taking some time tonight to tune into the show because we have got a jam-packed episode. We'll start things off with news from right here at Lenore Ryan. We'll talk LR men's and women's basketball, women's soccer, volleyball, and track and field. In college football, we'll talk more pivotal coaching news, results from conference championship week, and a look ahead to the college football playoff. We'll then wrap up our show with men's and women's college basketball results with our top five games from the last week. But again, we'll start things off with Lenore Ryan Sports and the Lenore Ryan men's basketball team, who fell Saturday evening to Division I opponent East Tennessee State on the road 90-66 in an exhibition contest. Four players were in double figures for the Buccaneers, led by Ladarius Brewer with 19. Charlie Brewer, Cordell Charles, and Jaden Seymour added 17, 14, and 10 points respectively. The Bears were paced in scoring by Sal Wilson, who notched 12 points off the bench. Kevin Kangu and TJ Nesmith added another 21 points combined. LR was out-rebounded 38-27 and hit only 6 of 23 three-point shots for 26.1%. The Bears are 3-4 overall on the season and next play Saturday at Catawba with a tip-off at 4 p.m. The Lenoran women's basketball team will also face off with Catawba coming up Saturday with a tip-off at 2 p.m. The Bears have struggled of late against the Indians, who are currently ranked 14th in the nation. LR has lost 7 of the last 10 meetings, dating back to February, of 2016. Their last matchup took place on January 2nd, 2021, where LR fell 60-55 to at home. The Bears have three players averaging double-figure scoring on the season in Emily Harmon at 14.3, Brandy Hudson at 13.0, and Maddie Dillinger at 12.7. LR currently sits with a record of 2-4 overall and 1-3 and in the South Atlantic Conference. Back on December 3rd, the Lenoran women's soccer team took on 18th-ranked Flagler in the NCAA Tournament Regional Finals. The Bears advanced past the four-seed Lions 4-2 in penalty kicks after the match ended in a 1-1 draw. Grayson Cameron once again came up huge for LR during the penalty kicks, stopping two Saints. The Bears were perfect once again on their penalty kicks, with Leonie Prosel, Maddie Kyle, Stephanie Figueredo, and Kate Casey scoring for LR. This was the second regional championship in program history for the Bears. They hadn't won the region since their first NCAA tournament appearance back in 2010. With that win, the Bears advanced to the Elite Eight round where they faced Florida Tech. The game was tied 1-1 at the end of regulation, and yet again, LR won by way of penalty kicks, outscoring Tech 4-2. Kara Govgon scored the game-tying goal in the 63rd minute of regulation off an assist from Nave Dustin, and Grayson Cameron made four saves in regulation and stopped three different Panthers during penalty kicks to secure the win for Lenore Ryan. With that win, the Bears moved on to the Final Four round where they fell to number one seed Grand Valley State by a score of three to nothing. The Bears only had two shots on goal in this game, both from Ali Zegger. Bears season ends at 12-6 and five overall. For the second time in program history, the Lenoran volleyball team advanced to a Sweet 16 thanks to a win in the regional semifinal last Friday night over Wingate three to one. Emma Clark set a LR NCAA tournament record with eight blocks. Taylor Prof finished with a match-high 15 kills and added 9 digs. Rachel Buick led LR with 26 digs, and Mackenzie Holsey handed out 36 assists and 12 digs. This was the first time since 2015 that LR has beat Winget twice in the same season. In the regional finals the following day, the Bears' season would come to an end, falling to Augusta 3-2. The Bears rallied from a 2-1 deficit and trailed 21-17 in the fourth set before rallying to force a fifth frame. Taylor Prawl would finish with 14 kills, and Mackenzie Hulsey set a LR NCAA tournament record with 45 assists. Rachel Buick finished with 36 digs as well. The Bears' season ends 
at 24-8 and eight overall. The Lenoran men's and women's track and field teams had their first competitions of the 2021-22 school year this past weekend and had a phenomenal showing. The Bears had 40 athletes run, jump, or throw their way into the program's top 10 marks. Five school records were broken, six athletes hit the NCAA provisional mark, and eight athletes are ranked in the top 10 in the country. The men competed in both the Visit Winston-Salem College kickoff at JDL Fast Track in Winston-Salem and in the Bass Krieger Invitational in Salem, Virginia. The women only competed at Bass Krieger. For the women, sophomore Jordan Sheely set two school records in the 60 meters and 200 meters, winning both events. She is currently ranked ninth in the nation in the 200 meters. Freshman Melody Jones set the school record, winning the 60-meter hurdles and also won the long jump. Taylor Meadows and Addie Majerkness finished first and second, respectively, in the 800 meters. The Bears had the top three finishers in the mile, with Callie Dahlberg taking first, Majerkness taking second, and Elizabeth Kessler taking third. Dahlberg also finished second in the 3,000 meters. The Bears also took the top three spots in the 5,000 meters. Cross-country All-American Jana Kwambai took first, Caroline Hilliard finished second, and Catherine Polk finished third. Kennedy Connor finished second in the Pentathlon with 2,852 total points. For the men, returning All-American Jacob Wadsworth got off to a great start to his season, setting the school record in the long jump while competing in the heptathlon, an event he finished second in with 5,221 points. Wadsworth is currently ranked sixth in the nation in long jump, and fourth in the nation in the heptathlon. Freshman Oliver Thatcher finished fifth in the heptathlon and is ranked sixth in the nation in the long jump. Sophomore Marlon Davis had a great day at Bass Krieger, winning the 60 meters. Davis also set the school record in the 200 meters and is ranked fourth in the nation in that event. Freshman John Sisson won the 400 meters at Bass Krieger with a time of 49.75, which ranks him second in the nation. Marcus Crumpler finished second in the 400 meters at Winston-Salem, running a time of 49.96 to rank him fifth in the nation. In the 4x400 relay, a team of Davis, Wadsworth, Sisson, and Lucas Song won at Winston-Salem with a time of 317.82. That time ranks him second in the country, and they defeated Duke in that event. Both the men's and women's teams will be in action next on January 15th at JDL Fast Track, competing in the Mondo College Invitational. So again, that is all of what we have going on right now at Lenore Rhine. Tons of sports in action. First, going back up to the men's and women's basketball teams. When you look at the men going on the road there at East Tennessee State, again, like we talked about when they played Tennessee on the road, very gritty performance. They showed a lot of toughness and a lot of resolve. The final score doesn't necessarily show that, the 24-point loss, but LR did some good things in this game, and there are some things to take away from this contest that they can bring back into South Carolina Conference play, and one of the players that is really starting to step up is Sal Wilson. 12 points off the bench here. We've talked about him over the last couple of weeks, starting to get in on the action as far as scoring is concerned. We know what Kevin Kangu and Nas Tyson and Jalen Johnson bring to the table. TJ Nesmith is another player that I'm keeping my eye on right now and one that you should be keeping your eye on as well. Coming off the bench, you need those glue guys. You need someone who's going to be able to come in and contribute, not only scoring, but grabbing some rebounds, dishing some assists, playing some defense. And TJ's that guy. And he is one of those players that I think Coach Everick Sullivan can really rely on coming up. So much of the point production and everything that this team gets is from those starters. And if you can get some bench play from guys like TJ Nesmith, a glue guy like Sal Wilson, your team is going to be in a much better position to win. We've talked about this as well with the women's team. These two squads have a lack of depth right now. And if you can find a player or two that can come in and, like I said, contribute in every area and just be a glue guy, that's going to be really huge for LR. And especially coming into this game against Catawba, if they are to get this win, they'll get to 4-4 four and four on the season. You get back to 500. You get your confidence going a little bit. And this is one where they really need to get the offense going. If they're going to win this game, they need some shots to fall from the outside. They need strong performances 
from their top players. We mentioned Kangu, Nash Tyson, Jalen Johnson, really just have this whole thing come together. I don't think we've seen that yet from LR. I don't think they've played their best game of the season yet. And for Coach Sullivan, it's going to be very important not only to get point production offensively and have those numbers go up a little bit, but also play some strong defense because their defense has had some lapses at times this season where they really need to lock in and lock down. That's going to be very important in this game against Catawba coming up. Same thing can be said for the LR women's basketball team coming up against an Indians team that is, as we mentioned, currently ranked number 14 in the country. This is going to be a really, really tough matchup given the fact that LR sits at 2-4 and four overall, 1-3 and three in the conference. Over the last couple of weeks, really since we've started this show and we've been talking about LR women's basketball, we've said the names Emily Harmon, Brandy Hudson, and Maddie Dillinger. And we know how good those three are individually and collectively playing together and playing off of each other. However, we haven't mentioned many other names. We haven't talked about too many other players getting in on the scoring action too much. The lack of depth on this team, just like on the men's team, is a real thing. And the lack of point production from players that are not named Harmon, Hudson, and Dillinger is also very concerning, especially coming into this game against Catawba. This is on the road against a ranked team. You're going to have to have those three play huge games and all score 15 plus points. You're going to need a Molly James to come up off the bench and play well. You're going to need a Tatum McBride to produce a little bit. Now there are some things this team has done really well despite their 2-4 and four record. Their defense has been very solid. I think their offense has been as well. They just haven't had enough of those key plays late in games to get victories and it's about closing. It's about finishing and that's what this LR women's basketball team has struggled at doing so far as the season has gotten underway. Great opportunity to get a massive win, again, at Catawba. Coming up Saturday, the Indians currently ranked 14th in the nation. So again, that is all that we have for you tonight in regards to athletics here at Lenore Ryan. Great stuff right now with men's and women's basketball. We talked about the amazing run to the Final Four for our women's soccer team, and also volleyball, the run that they made in the playoffs. Very impressive for them as well. Track and field getting underway. Tons of great things going on here at LR right now. A lot of great teams in action as well. Now let's go over and talk college football. Here in the segment tonight, just like last week, we have some big coaching news that we want to get you caught up on. We're also going to talk results from Conference Championship Week and a look at the college football playoff. The four-team field is set for this year. We're going to talk all about that again coming up a little bit later. But first, we will talk some coaching news. The University of Oklahoma has hired Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables as their next head coach. He was on the Sooner staff from 1999 to 2011 as co-defensive coordinator from 1999 to 2003 and defensive coordinator from 2004 to 2011 before heading to Clemson from 2012 to 2021. The deal was finalized last Sunday night after Oklahoma Athletic Director Joe Castiglione flew to Clemson, South Carolina to meet with Venables, who had emerged as the Sooners' top target. Venables flew back with the Oklahoma contingent Sunday night and was formally introduced Monday morning. Venables' defenses at Clemson consistently ranked near the top nationally in most statistical categories. He was the highest paid assistant coach in college football and received a contract extension prior to the season that took him to $2.5 million annually. In addition, sources tell ESPN that Venables has hired Ole Miss's Jeff Levy as the Sooners' offensive coordinator. Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal has announced he is leaving the Ducks program to accept the same position at the University of Miami. Sources tell ESPN that Cristobal's contract at Miami will be in the range of $8 million annually and that Miami also plans to pay his $9 million buyout at Oregon. Cristobal informed Ducks players of his decision at a team meeting Monday in Eugene. Just before the Oregon meeting, Miami announced the firing of coach Manny Diaz. Cristobal played for the Hurricanes as an offensive lineman for two national championship teams and served as a Miami assistant from 2004 to 2006. 
went 35-13 at Oregon with two Pac-12 championships, a Rose Bowl win two years ago, and three Pac-12 North titles. He joined the Ducks staff in 2017 as a co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. He also served as Florida Internationals coach from 2007 to 2012, going 27-47 and 47 overall. Decommitting since Cristobal's departure are five-star offensive lineman Calvin Banks and four-stars linebacker TJ Dudley and quarterback Tanner Bailey, all from the class of 2022. Yet again, a lot going on this week in college football in regards to coaching news. Last week, we talked about Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley going to USC. Now they've got their new head man in Brent Venables, a guy who is so familiar with this program. We mentioned that he served on the staff at OU from 99 to 2011 as co-defensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, then went on to Clemson and just had a great run there serving for Dabo Sweeney. Great defenses, a ton of NFL draft picks coming from those teams. I expect him to establish a culture and identity early on here at Oklahoma. He knows what this program is all about. He knows what it takes to win at the highest level because he's won national championships with Clemson. He was a part of big games and great teams in his first stint with Oklahoma. And this really, I think, was the perfect hire for them. There were so many other candidates. There were guys like Lane Kiffin, Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator at Georgia, was a name that was really popping up late as well. And it became very clear late that Joe Castiglione was going after the defensive guys, Venables and Lanning. Venables was the guy that they felt was the right fit for them. He felt that it was the perfect opportunity to take a head coaching job. He was a candidate for Auburn last year. Brian Harson, former Boise State head coach, took that job. He wanted to wait it out a little bit, find that right opportunity, and this is the right job for Brent Venables, and this is the right coach for Oklahoma. But the big challenge for him coming in as head coach is, can he get guys to recommit to this program? Guys who played for Lincoln Riley, committed to Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma Sooners, can they recommit to Brent Venables' version of Oklahoma? And that's something that coaches have a hard time with as they come in and try to establish things because there are inevitably going to be players that are going to transfer. A lot of guys have already left the OU program since Lincoln Riley left. Spencer Rattler has transferred out. He was going to transfer either way. Jaden Hazelwood, the wide receiver, is out. What we're really watching, though, is starting quarterback Caleb Williams. Brent Venables has already talked to Caleb Williams. There are no indications yet that Caleb Williams is transferring, though there are some rumors about him heading to USC with Lincoln Riley. How much truth there is to that, we don't know at this point. So it's going to be a waiting game with Caleb Williams. I don't think we're going to have to wait too much longer, though, to know where he's going to be, if he's going to be at OU or if he's going to be somewhere else. So that's really the biggest challenge for, for Brent will be to get guys to recommit and also get some recruiting going. Obviously, he's been one of the best recruiters in all of the country, bringing in all of that great defensive talent to Clemson and trying to do it yet again here at Oklahoma, but this time as the head coach. And again, a great hire there for them. Going over and looking at Miami, kind of the same thing with Oklahoma. Mario Cristobal was really the used top target throughout this process, which was a little bit different than what other schools usually go through because when they first saw that Mario Cristobal was interested in taking this job at Miami, was interested in coming, Manny Diaz is still their head coach. He's still under contract with them. And a lot of people are upset about the way that this whole process was handled, about how everything kind of came in so late, that Manny Diaz wasn't informed earlier, that Mario Cristobal was interested, that Miami wanted to go in a different direction. And that's understandable because you end a season you're still the head coach. You're, you're preparing for recruiting. You're preparing for signing day. You're looking at spring ball coming up. And for there to be a change this quickly and without much information, you know, prior to Monday when they fired Manny Diaz and Mario Cristobal tells Oregon that he's leaving, it just 
was a very murky process on the Miami side of things. And that's, again, why some people are upset about how that was handled. With all of that aside, Mario Cristobal, very excited to be back at Miami. We mentioned that he played for the Hurricanes as an offensive lineman, won a couple of championships, was an assistant on their staff as well. So he knows what this program is all about, much like Brent Venables does with Oklahoma, serving for them previously. Mario Cristobal has been in this program as a player and as a coach. And I think he's the guy that really can take them in that right direction because it's not that Manny Diaz didn't do a good job. He did. They had good football teams under him. But what Miami is looking for is what USC is looking for and what LSU is looking for and what Oklahoma is trying to accomplish, and that's win national championships. They're trying to be the best in college football because Miami's been there before. They they also have a rich tradition and history, and they need a guy that they feel will take them to the next level. And I think that guy is Mario Cristobal and really excited to see what his recruiting looks like coming up. He's been one of the best recruiters as far as head coaches go in all the country because when you look at college football, head coaches don't often handle a lot of the primary recruiting. It's up to a lot of the assistants. Mario Cristobal is one of those guys that really takes on the lead when it comes to recruiting. So very interested to see what he can do at Miami, what he can do in Florida. Obviously, it's a talent-heavy, talent-rich state and region. We talked about that last week with LSU, SEC country, the Deep South. That's where a ton of good college football talent comes from and expect him to really get things going with this program coming up. So Brent Venables headed to Oklahoma, Mario Cristobal going to the U. Now let's go over and talk college football conference championship results. Conference championship week back last Saturday. Really, really big games across the board. So many of these contests had huge implications. College football playoff implications, New Year's Six implications. And we're going to start with the Big 12 championship game. Number nine, Baylor, and number five, Oklahoma State. Coming into this game, there was a lot of speculation about if Oklahoma State won, that they would be in a great position to get into the college football playoff, regardless of what Cincinnati was to do against the Houston Cougars. And I made a case on the show last week for Oklahoma State if they won to get into the college football playoff, but that is not what happened. They came up short against the Bears 21 to 16. Really crazy game from start to finish. Baylor was playing with their backup quarterback, Blake Shapin, who played really well, showed a lot of poise and a lot of toughness there back in the pocket. Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State on the other side through four interceptions. And when you don't have that rut and when you don't have that rushing attack and when your defense is giving up big plays in the red zone, you cannot afford to play that way. And especially in a conference championship game, I don't care what game it is, any game when you throw four picks, that's going to hurt your football team, but none more than in a conference championship game where had you won, you would at least have a chance to get into the CFP. Not saying they would have got in because Cincinnati handled their business against Houston, winning that game, winning the AAC, but at least you would have had an opportunity to be mentioned in that conversation as a one-loss conference champion. Baylor has had an incredible turnaround from 2020. They only won two games last year. They go from that to being the Big 12 champion. I don't think any of us saw that coming. It's just a testament to the coaching job that Dave Aranda has done. This Baylor program is set up really well for the future. If Dave Aranda sticks around for a long time and if they can continue to recruit at a high level, develop players the way that they do, this is a team that's going to be a factor for years to come. And they are 2021 Big 12 champions defeating Oklahoma State 21-16. In the Mountain West Championship, Utah State blew out number 19 San Diego State by a score of 46 to 13. In the Sunbelt Championship, 24th ranked Louisiana, 24-16 over Appalachian State. In the American Athletic Conference Championship game, number four Cincinnati, 35 to 20 over number 21 Houston. In the SEC Championship game, number three Alabama, 41-24 over number one Georgia. In the Big Ten Championship game, number two Michigan, taking care of business against 13th ranked Iowa, blitzing the Hawkeyes by a score of 42 to three. And in the ACC Championship game, number 15 Pitt, 45-21 over number 16 Wake Forest. 
with the results in those conference championship games Sunday, the college football playoff four-team field was announced. Making the cut are in order number one, Alabama, number two, Michigan, number three, Georgia, and number four, Cincinnati. Both national semifinal games will be held on December 31st and will be aired on ESPN as the Crimson Tide and Bearcats will face off in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, while the Wolverines and Bulldogs will play in the Capital One Orange Bowl. So again, that is the 2022 college football playoff four-team field. When you're looking at how tough or difficult this was, for the committee compared to other years, I think it was very simple for them this time around because there were a couple of different cut and dry scenarios. The one that did end up taking place was Alabama beating Georgia, Cincinnati winning against Houston, Michigan beating Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. With that, it was a very easy selection process. And with that, you saw Alabama jump from four to one, Georgia go from one to three, Michigan is still two, Cincinnati's four. And the big reason that they ranked Georgia at number three instead of number four is to avoid a semifinal rematch with Alabama. The college football playoff committee did not want Alabama and Georgia playing in back-to-back games in the SEC championship and as well in the national semifinals. So now we get Crimson Tide and Bearcats, Wolverines and Bulldogs. Really interested to see how these two matchups play out. When you look at Alabama-Cincinnati first, Cincinnati offensively has been very consistent all season long they have the potential to be high scoring with Desmond Ritter at quarterback you go to the backfield they have an outstanding running back in Jerome Ford they have a couple good wide receivers including Alec Pierce but they're going to have their hands full with this improving Alabama defense that has started to come around and this offense for the tide in my opinion the best in the nation right now their quarterback Bryce Young has continued to ascend all season long 26 of 44 passing 421 yards Three touchdowns here in this game against Georgia. Spread the ball around. Jamison Williams had a huge game receiving seven catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. John Mechie, six catches, 97 yards, and a TD. He, unfortunately, went down in this game with a non-contact knee injury. That ended up being an ACL tear, so he will be out for the remainder of the season. That means some other guys are going to have to step up in the receiving game namely Slade Bolton. He had five catches for 54 yards here in this game. He's going to have to step up and be that second receiver. Jaleel Billingsley is another guy that can be utilized in this offense. Those guys are going to have to be ready to step up into a bigger role. And Jamison Williams is going to get a lot more attention now. Expect him to be double teamed by that Cincinnati defense because when you have Williams and Mechie, you can't double both guys. They both can get up and down the field vertically. They're so quick and precise in their route running. Williams is more that speed guy. Mechie was more the precise route runner. So again, Bolden and Billingsley are those two guys that are really going to have to step up for them. Overall, I do like Alabama in that game against Cincinnati. Huge accomplishment for a group of five team to make it to the college football playoffs, something that had never been done before. But they're running into the best team in the nation right now. And Alabama has continued to ascend. We don't usually talk about that with them. They usually start at the top. They stay there. We know what we're going to get from them. Bryce Young has gotten better each game. The running game is strong. I think there's still room for improvement there, but the way that this offense can explode at any moment, it's going to be really tough for the Bearcats defense. The game that I think is going to be more competitive is the Michigan-Georgia game. Georgia showed in the SEC championship game why they weren't worthy of being ranked number one, and I think some of the problems stem at quarterback. When JT Daniels went down with injury and Stetson Bennett stepped in, we knew that he would be able to get them through the rest of the regular season and to that SEC championship game, but against Alabama, he struggled. He did throw three touchdowns, 340 yards passing on 29 of 48 attempts, but also threw two interceptions. And those two picks 
really got Alabama going, got them confidence on the defensive end, gave Bryce Young and that offense more opportunities. If that happens again against Michigan, Georgia will not win that football game. I like Michigan actually going into that game. And the reason I like them is not necessarily because of their passing game. We know it's a very pedestrian passing offense. Cade McNamara, 169 yards, a touchdown and a pick against Iowa. But it's that running game with Blake Quorum and Hassan Haskins. Quorum, five carries for 74 yards and a touch against Iowa. Hassan Haskins, 17 carries for 56 yards, two TDs. This offense has the ability to rack up yards rushing. This defense is playing outstanding right now. They only give up 15 first downs to Iowa, only 3.9 yards per play for the Hawkeyes as well, only 279 total yards. This is a complete Michigan football team, and they don't need an elite quarterback to win the national championship. They can go win the whole thing with Cade McNamara playing good, solid football back there, not turning it over, managing the game, handing it to Corman Haskins, and this defense doing their thing. So I'm very confident that Michigan can come in and play a good game on the ground and also solid through the air, but that Georgia defense on the other side is also very good. They were exposed a little bit there against Alabama, but they're not going up against nearly as explosive of an offense. So again, those are the two college football playoff national semifinal games, Alabama and Cincinnati, Michigan and Georgia as well. Both of those games again, December the 31st on ESPN. Next week, we're going to talk more about the complete bowl schedule. We'll have more news from across the country. We'll talk more with the Heisman finalists, which include Bryce Young from Alabama, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. We'll talk all about that again on next week's show. But here tonight, we wanted to focus mainly on the coaching news, which again, very big this week, and the conference championship results and how those games had huge implications on the college football playoff and kind of look ahead to what we have coming up there as well. So that is what's going on in college football. Now we're going to wrap up our show with men's and women's college basketball. We'll go through our top five games of the week on both the men's and women's side of things. First, we'll talk men's college basketball and go back to Friday, December the 3rd, where eighth-ranked Kansas took down St. John's by a score of 95-75. to For the Jayhawks, Christian Brown had 31 points to lead the way. Ochai Abaji added 23. David McCormick had a double-double of 15 points and 13 rebounds. Leading St. John's was Julian Champagny, who had 24 points and 8 rebounds. Going to Saturday the 4th, 9th-ranked Alabama 91-82 over number 5 Gonzaga. Leading the Crimson Tide was Jaden Shackelford with 28 points. J.D. Davison added 20. Javon Quinterly contributed 17 as well. For Gonzaga, Drew Timmy led the way with 23. Shet Holmgren recorded a double-double of 10 points and 11 rebounds. Number 17, Iowa State, 64-58 over the Creighton Blue Jays. For the Cyclones, Caleb Grill led the way with 16. Isaiah Brockington had 12. George Condit added 8 as well. The Cyclones are one of the most improved teams in the nation this season. Last year, they posted a record of 5-13 overall with an 0-11 record on the road. This season, they have blitzed out to an undefeated start. Very impressive. Now to Monday, December the 6th. Huge upset here with Texas Southern, taking down number 20 Florida, 69-54. This was the Tigers' first win of the 2021 season after dropping their first seven contests. Leading the way was P.J. Henry with 16 points, Jordan Carl Nichols had 14, John Walker III added 13 as well. Florida was led by Brandon McKissick, who had 15 points. Florida was dominated on the glass by Texas Southern here in this game, out-rebounded 46-23. Gators only hit 5 of 24 three-point shots as well. Going to Tuesday the 7th, Texas Tech, 57-52 in overtime over number 13, Tennessee. Leading the way for the Red Raiders in this upset win was Terrence Shannon Jr., who had 18 points and 12 rebounds. Davion Warren and Kevin O'Banner added 10 as well. John Fulkerson had 10 points and 10 rebounds. 
to lead Tennessee. So those are the top five games of the last week in men's college basketball. A couple of those games really up and down, really exciting. Going to uh, Alabama and Gonzaga first. Really high-profile contest between two of the best teams in the nation. Gonzaga, again, dropping a game just like we saw in the game against Duke. A lot of good scoring, a lot of good offense from this Bulldogs team, but Yet again, to rely on Drew Timmy, Shet Holmgren had a solid game with 10 points and 11 rebounds. He is the best player individually in college basketball to me. And when you look at what he does game by game, you see that. But the fear I have for Gonzaga is not necessarily the lack of depth because they have guys they can bring off the bench, but it's just about the production outside of Drew Timmy. Julian Strother has been pretty consistent from game to game. He, Timmy, and Holmgren have really been the top three players for Gonzaga this season. Everyone else has been kind of on again, off again. Anton Watson, Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, you go to Rasir Bolton. Those guys are going to have to score more consistently and produce a little bit more if this team wants to get big win after big win. And this was a very concerning game for them in that regard. I love what Alabama has with that trio of Jaden Shackelford, J.D. Davison, and Javon Quinterly. Davison, one of the highly touted freshmen in the country, he's already playing up to the building that he came in with. Javon Quinterly's really found a great fit here at Alabama, started his career at Villanova. Things didn't really click there with Jay Wright. Now he's playing some of the best basketball of his career in Jaden Shackelford, one of the best sophomores in America, still so underrated, guys. You really got to watch him play. This Alabama team so well coached under Nate Oates. Love watching them in action. Iowa State, again, as we mentioned, one of the most improved teams in the country. 5-13 and 13 in 2020, no wins on the road. What they've done this season to turn around, it's just such a credit to that coaching staff and the players that stuck around. Guys like George Condit, who is one of the best big men in the Big 12 that nobody talks about. Caleb Royal and Isaiah Brockington. Those two, the way that they played off each other here in this game, in the backcourt, very impressive for the Cyclones. They're ranked in the top 25, as we mentioned, at number 17. And Texas Southern, huge, huge win there against number 20, Florida. They came in 0-7 in that contest. They get their first win of the season. They got great production from some of their top players. And the way that they dominated on the glass, we mentioned 46-23. to They got the rebounding edge, and their defense on the perimeter was absolutely outstanding, only allowing 5 of 24 shots from behind the arc. That's the formula for winning basketball games. No matter what your personnel is, no matter who you are as a group, you got to be able to do those things well. And they put it all together for their first win. Really entertaining games in men's college basketball over the last week. Again, and the teams that I thought really turned a corner there, or uh, again, Alabama and Iowa State, and obviously Texas Southern getting a really, really big win there as well. Now let's go over and talk women's college basketball in the top five games of the week there. We're going to start back on Thursday, December 2nd with two games from the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Number seven, Louisville took down number 13, Michigan, by a score of 70 to 48. Leading the Cardinals was Emily Engsler, who had a double-double of 18 points and 14 rebounds. Kiana Smith had 17, and Haley Van Lith added 10 as well. The Cardinals were plus 13 on the glass, forced 24 turnovers, and held Michigan to 13% shooting from behind the arc. Number 19, Duke, 79-64 over number 12, Iowa. Leading Duke was freshman Cheyenne Day Wilson with 19 points. Texas transfer Celeste Taylor had 17 points and 13 rebounds. Jade Williams and Elizabeth Balligan added 9 as well. Caitlin Clark led the Hawkeyes with 22 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. To Sunday, December the 5th, 3rd-ranked UConn, 73-54 over number 22, Notre Dame. Leading the way for the Huskies was Paige Beckers, 22 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists. Freshman Caroline Ducharme and Olivia Nelson-Nadota had 14. Aliyah Edwards added 10 as well. For Notre Dame, Sonia Sitron led the way with 19 points. 
Number 11, Texas, defeated number 18, Texas A&M, by a score of 76-60. Leading the Longhorns in scoring was Aliyah Mataru, who had 26 points. Rory Harmon and Deonna Gaston added for another 28 combined. Leading Texas A&M was Sidney Roby with 16 points. Destiny Pitts and Kayla Wells added 14 and 13, respectively. And Wednesday, December the 8th, number 15, Iowa State, took down number 12, Iowa, 77-70. Leading the Cyclones was Ashley Jones, who had 26 points. Lexi Donarski and Aubrey Jones had 16 and 12 respectively. Leading Iowa yet again was Caitlin Clark who had 26 points and 7 rebounds. Since starting the season 5-0 and and holding a number 4 national ranking, the Hawkeyes have dropped two straight contests again to Duke and to Iowa State. So those are our top five games of the week in women's college basketball. The one I really want to focus on here is UConn and Notre Dame. Yet again, blowout win for the Huskies. They scored the ball consistently. Their offense was flowing. They were moving the ball well. Everybody seemed in rhythm. Everybody got involved. However, this win came at a huge cost because their superstar sophomore Paige Beckers, with just under one minute remaining in this game, suffered a non-contact knee injury as the Huskies were taking the ball up the floor. Beckers had to be carried off the floor by her teammates. Obviously, the first reaction to this was, why is she still in the game with under a minute to go? UConn's up by double digits. They're going to win the game. Why are the starters still in? That was kind of the first reaction that everyone had when they saw this is, why is Paige still in the game? Really, that falls on Coach Gino Oriema. His explanation for this was, well, she was still in the game because she always wants to be in. She always wants to be on the floor with her teammates, and and that's great. But it's just like when you're watching an NFL football game, and a team's winning 42-14 to in the fourth quarter. Do you think the coach of that team is going to keep his starters in when there's really nothing else to play for in that contest? They know they're going to get the win? No, they're not going to keep those players in. Um, why the starters were still in, I'm not sure. Why Beckers was still in the game, I'm not sure on that either. Uh, luckily for UConn and for Paige Beckers, this was not one of those high-profile injuries like an ACL or an MCL tear. Following an MRI and CAT scan, Beckers was diagnosed with a tibial plateau fracture that will keep her out six to eight weeks. And for people that are unfamiliar with this type of injury, it's basically like a hyperextension of the knee, but when those two bones that hit together collide, one cracks. And that's what happened to Paige Beckers here in this game against Notre Dame. And this injury will keep her out six to eight weeks. Luckily, the injury will not require surgery. However, Beckers will be unavailable for high-profile matchups with Louisville, Oregon, and possibly their rematch with top-ranked South Carolina. Other Huskies currently sidelined with injury are star freshman AZ Fudd and Nika Mule, both out with foot injuries. Both of those players out a number of weeks. Fudd has already been out about a week, maybe another week. She'll be back. Nika Mule going to be out for about three weeks, and Becker's possibly out as long as two months. So when you're looking at this UConn team, major challenge ahead of them without their superstar player. And someone was actually asking me not too long ago, hey, how do you think UConn's going to do without Becker's? How do you think in those big games they're going to perform? Are they going to win or lose? Right now, without Paige Becker's, I don't think UConn is beating Louisville. And I certainly do not think they're beating South Carolina. When they played at the Battle for Atlantis, South Carolina dominated UConn with Paige Beckers, with AZ Fudd, with Nika Meal, with all those players in action. They had their they had their whole A team out there, and they still lost by 20. So if they're losing that way with Beckers and Fudd and all of them, they're certainly not winning without Paige. So that's going to be a tough game on the road at South Carolina. Again, there's a chance that they could have her in that game, but that's around week six of her recovery. 
and usually players don't come back until that last week has passed. And then they're continuing to be reevaluated and stuff like that. So again, things could change. Her progress and her rehab could be quicker than expected. It could take longer than expected. UConn is not focused on getting her back out on the floor as quickly as possible. What they're focused on is having her for the long run, for the NCAA tournament, to go try to win a national championship. But going back to those two games, Louisville and South Carolina, I definitely think those two probably losses without Beckers, that Louisville game coming up very soon in under two weeks. The Oregon game, I think they will get that win. Even without Paige Beckers, I think this UConn team is still well good enough to beat Oregon. Ducks have fallen out of the AP Top 25. They've had some close calls against some mid-major teams. UC Davis and Portland almost beat them. So I think Oregon's a little vulnerable here. They're very young, but I think they're still very raw as a team. And they're taking on a UCLA squad next week that's also been struggling. So I think UCLA and Oregon will be wins minus Beckers, Louisville and South Carolina probably not. So we'll see how things go. Going to be very interesting to see how this UConn team responds with this new adversity. Paige Beckers, we're all in there rooting for you. Hope you come back very soon and light the college basketball world on fire yet again. So that is a look at women's college basketball and our top five games of the week. A lot of exciting, entertaining games here. A lot of great games coming up in the near future. Definitely a lot of stuff to look forward to there as well. So that is episode number six of College Sports Today. We again, thank you so very much for taking the time to listen here tonight. We hope that you will join us again coming up next week. I'm Hamilton Neal signing off. I'll see you then.